Hi, y'all. Five Sharp Final, Jason Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer as well. Joe Patrick from the Mothership, 92.9 The Game and Dirty South Soccer and some other places too, I think, is over there. Say hey, Joe. Hey, Sam. How's it going? It's been a while, I feel like, since we've done this. In a second. Uh, it's been awful quiet still, uh, but we did want to have kind of a sad show. At least the first part's going to be sad. The first part is going to be like 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 a phoenix to to keep in with a, an Atlanta theme here. It's going to be like a phoenix just just bursting into flame. But but from the ashes is is going to come a a holding midfielder from from Paraguay. Um, so we've got to start. I think, and this is kind of going to be the brunt of the show. Really, um, we've got a eulogy to give. Unfortunately, Joe Patrick. Yeah, uh, we do. Leandro Gonzalez Perez gone from our lives forevermore, most likely. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, you know, he was, I, I I felt like he was representative of the club in some ways, in a lot of ways, actually, but ma- mainly in the fact that he was one of the, that first group of players coming from South America that Tata Martino built his squad around. And he had such an important role under him. I felt like he really represented an ethos behind the entire club. Um, he was kind of like that heartbeat, you know, that's why we always talked about him as being a future captain, right? Like he just had kind of that grasp over the team. And it's amazing that we've gone from future captain, Leandro Gonzalez Perez to person leaving the team to, to mixed reactions. Leandro Gonzalez Perez. I don't know. I I've seen a lot of people obviously upset right as you kind of would be but those same people are, are pretty conciliatory about yeah okay we kind of get why there's a change going on here and that's really only based off of uh, an up and down season he had last year which probably seemed more up and down than it actually was just because miles robinson was so steady is it fair to say that yeah i think that's definitely the case rob had a great tweet about this one time which was like it's he's i think he said uh Having Robinson playing next to LGP is like uh, a uh, a mur- or a um, a serial killer with a top notch uh, lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> like, like <laughs> LGP was just all over the place, and Miles was always there to cover in, in that respect. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like everybody I've talked to has agreed that this was actually his poorest season, which you wouldn't expect. You know, you always expect players to kind of progress linearly and for them to just get better, better year upon year. And that didn't really happen with LGP uh, in his third year. And I thought, you know, I kind of, I've been writing about this. So I've gone back and taken a good hard look at just his time here in Atlanta. And I keep coming back to last off season when Boca juniors came in for him. And I don't know if they ever made a kind of a realistic deal to the club to buy him. I suspect that they did not. Otherwise maybe we would have seen more about this and maybe even a move could have happened last off season. Um, but I really think that that kind of affected him to a degree because it, it coincided with the loss of Tata Martino, you know, like Tata, they, the team had won the title, Tata Martino and Miguel Almiron were out, but especially Tata Martino, who was really, you know, kind of like a, a father figure to a lot of those players that, you know, that he brought in. We talked about earlier that he kind of built the squad with. And then I think that kind of fell on LGP and it was just a lot for him to deal with this season with, you know, the thoughts of potentially having a move to a, a club as big as Boca Juniors to kind of feeling like he has to 
be the emotional lever for a lot of these players and and kind of be that father figure. I think it was just a lot on him. And I think that it, for that reason, it made it his most difficult season. I mean, kind of like on and off the field, kind of physically and also mentally. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the father figure thing. He he literally said at one point, I'm trying to be more of a daddy. Yeah. So, I, I mean, <laughs> that, it, it literally... Um, that kind of responsibility he felt at times, I think. And, and just a, a culture change mixed to that responsibility, I, I think it led to some contentious moments in the locker room, I'll say. Um, and, you know, it, it makes it kind of understandable that if the culture is not working for, for both sides, which we've seen in a few cases um, since the beginning of last year, then it might be best for, for a change for, for both sides. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not anybody's fault, Joe. It's not anybody's fault. No, I definitely went back and read the quotes from the all MLS all-star game and they struck me obviously much, much different now that I've kind of, now that all this has unfolded the quote, the original quote that he gave, and then he went back and amended this. But he said that, quote, things have changed a lot. The way the club has played the game and we don't like it. We're working to return to the way it was before and how we characterize through and differentiated us apart from other teams. So, like, that is pretty on the nose, I think, like, (laughs) with kind of what we're starting to understand now about just, you know, the frustration that had set in at that point in the season in the team. And I think that it was, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, you know... I hate it because I also think that MLS's whole salary cap situation um, plays a big factor into this. I think if there was not a salary cap, I think Atlanta United would have tried to extend his deal uh, at some point, maybe even before this. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just I, I think that it brings a lot of things into clarity now that uh, now that all of this is happening. Yeah, and again, to go back to a point about what he said during the summer and what a couple of people said during the summer is we all agreed. We all like it wasn't right, yeah. a, a necessarily wrong statement. It was it was interesting to see how it came out, you know, uh, but it wasn't necessarily wrong at, at all. And frankly, things did get better once they they kind of started playing a little more like themselves, I guess, but yeah. Know, until they went back to the way it was a little bit more right, exactly, exactly like he had said. Um, and so you kind of have this thing where I think Frank, you know, obviously still believes in, in his system and his culture being effective. And so last year was the kind of a transition for it. And now he's hopefully going to bring in folks who kind of, fit that more I, I think you can look at just how big emerson Heinemann's contract is and say that yeah this is more what he's looking for and what he wants this team to be um stylistically i guess uh, we're gonna find out more about what that is exactly when the mm-hmm. season starts of course but um obviously there's some not necessarily cleaning house but some shifts going on with personnel that I think yeah. are very directed by, by Frank's vision. I know that, you know, when you get a new coach, like Atlanta United did last year, you think of that being the new chapter. I think they may have even branded the whole thing as like the next chapter, or the new chapter, <laughs> right. or whatever it was. Um, but I really feel like this season will be the time where we kind of feel that more. Cause I felt like last year was more of a, it was so the way it unfolded, 
it was kind of a, a a real mishmash between these two chapters, so to speak. You know, you kind of had the, this contingent that was used to playing a certain way, and you had Frank DeBoer kind of bringing in his ideas, and they were overlapping a little bit. And I think that now, especially to have a full off season to turn over the roster a little bit more, I think now we're going to start to see really what that next chapter of the club actually looks like on the field. And mm. it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself. And if that is a good thing, you know, I think <laughs> like this is one of the most uncertain I've ever felt about, not about the long-term success of the club or whatever. I'm talking about, I'm uncertain about just like how it's going to look, how, how the team is going to play tactically um, and whether it's going to be something that's enjoyable or not. I think that it kind of makes it exciting, but it's also a little bit scary to think about the future when you don't know what's coming. But I think that we're going to start to see a lot of this stuff really, really manifest itself in a tangible way coming up. Right. No, and you've mentioned before, I think we're, we're we were hovering around six signings needed before the start of the year, I think, uh, the other yeah. day. And it might be down. And we're, st- we're still... <laughs> Right. We'll talk about that more yeah, later. Yeah, we're like, yeah, we're we're still around there. Right. Uh, and so there's just so many variables going on right now. We, on top of that, we still don't know anything about a CBA, which could be limiting some things. And it's all just very, I don't know. It's, it's boring, but I feel like when the dam breaks, it's going to be colossal. Right. It, it's going to be a whirlwind of, of things just colliding together all at once, and it's going to be. Maybe not fun, but at least engaging. Like reading one yeah. of my articles. <laughs> what I worry about just for the general, the the business side of it for the league, like the marketing aspect of it is I feel like you're going to have a lot of stuff come together quickly, like you said. And I just worry about so many stories happening and things kind of, oh, things getting lost essentially in the news cycle and kind right. of, only the hardcores, the people who really follow this stuff uh, passionately, will will kind of follow it along. We're going to go more into this in the in the second segment. I want to ask you to, to kind of bring this back to LGP, Sam. I want to ask you a question, mm-hmm. and that is kind of like when, and maybe you don't have a good answer for this. In which case, just throw it back to me. Um, but like, when was the first time you noticed LGP? Because there, there's a very specific kind of moment or instance for me. If there's anything that like strikes you from his earliest days or, or, you know, sure. when, you, when, when Atlanta United was a fresh, uh, uh, you know, when it was a budding <laughs> romance, you know, between you, your, your heart and theirs. Yeah, no, my, my first real kind of moment with LGP is my first real moment with Atlanta. Uh, I was interning uh, back in, back when I was an undergrad Halcyon days and I uh, was interning at the Marriott daily journal and, and convinced my, editor to let me go over and cover soccer, even though he didn't think it was going to work or anyone was going to show up to it, which I kind of believed him at that point, but they had just moved into the training ground. It was the first day away from flowery branch and uh, Tata and LGP were the first two folks that I was able to talk to if I'm, if I'm remembering right anyway. um, And they were very kind, very, very gracious, of course, as always. um, And, always really appreciated that but was most impressed by lgp kind of playing ground with english at that point right like he had apparently said a couple days before that in six months he was going to to learn english so he was still using justin the translator a little bit there but he was starting to pick up words he could tell 
and then by the end of that season was doing interviews in English. And I just thought that was incredible, honestly, um, for him to, to pick that up and be willing to pick that up and to, you know, have a desire to do that. That was really, really impressive. And that's not just for, for media reasons, but I'm sure to communicate with his teammates as well and oh, yeah. be a connecting force in the locker room that that took a lot um for him to do that and that was just so impressive and it's it's a bummer to see someone like that go with just because of irreconcilable differences i'm going to keep talking about it like it's a divorce <laughs> it definitely feels that way uh i'm really glad you mentioned that because that's a that's a great call that i mean that really made him kind of a cult hero a bit a I bit think. yeah I think that that he like that he got so much respect across the board for that. Um, yeah, that that's a great call. Mine was more the the moment I'm thinking of is more on the field, and it was actually in Atlanta United's third game. Okay. I, I did I one of the images that sticks out to me of him honestly is just like that first walkout at Bobby Dodd Stadium in mm. the um against Red Bulls. I just like. I, I don't know if it was he was pictured. There was like a cool shot of him on one of the videos that the club produced that I remember, but something about that sticks out to me, him walking out on that pitch that night. But um, the first time I, he really popped out to me was, uh, was the game against Chicago. It was the third game. And I think he ended the game with more passes than Chicago, more completed passes than Chicago no, had right. as, yeah. as a team because they had gotten, they had gotten a red card in like the, 10th minute or something mm-hmm. and um and so atlanta united had, had a ton of possession but i thought that that game just really stood out because he was up he was pushed up in midfield you know doing all this distribution keeping things ticking over nothing he was doing was out of this world crazy but i just thought wow this is this is like the the top teams in europe like this is the way they play you know this is a totally different thing than i think a lot of us uh felt like could be what Atlanta and I was as part of MLS, you know, just adopting that kind of more brute force style. And it was just a really tangible thing where you could, you, you could grasp that and say, this is Atlanta United. And I thought that he represented it as much as anybody. I know that, you know, Joseph Martinez, Miguel Amaron, like those guys obviously got their plaudits for sure. But I really thought that he was kind of one of those um, kind of the backbone of the team a bit. Yeah, and you talk about the cult hero status. It's always kind of fun to to look at the roots of that. And, and that first few games definitely kind of cemented it. But, you know, with defenders, you kind of have to take some time to get to know them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you are yeah. instantly, like, a, a, attracted to them and everything's going to be amazing from here on out. Um, like, you talked about the Chicago game, and that was our first kind of real introduction to Joseph when he scored from pretty much behind the goal. And you kind of knew, okay, that he's... He's legit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. kind of. It took some time, but by the end of the year, we had more than a few folks saying that he was a top five defender in MLS. Um, he didn't quite get the recognition nationally for that. Sometimes I think he did make the one All Star game, probably in his worst season last year, which is interesting to me, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> you know, um, that's funny. Not only did he seem. Not only was he interesting, not only was he willing to be engaged with people, not just in the media, but with the fan base and the team. Um, he had somewhat of, it felt like a staying power. Like if you had to pick anyone from the 2017 team to still 
be here, right? Probably would have been Leandro, I think, mm -hmm. um, if you were just going off gut feeling. So it kind of seemed like he was going to be around for a while. Um, but those were naive, naive moments. I mean, he, 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 bought a, he bought a house. He was pretty public about you know buying mm -hmm. his house. And I think that people really respected that a lot too, how he kind of really... He kind of put down roots, you know. He had a kid who's an American. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's exactly right. He had a kid here. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. And, and now he's now he's gone forever and ever. Um, I don't know. It's 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 weird. It's weird. Um, but it, on, on top of the being good at soccer thing, it, you know, he caused some people to to doubt, if you will, just because he was so varied sometimes in how he plays. Um, which isn't necessarily like the greatest thing for someone in the back line, but you know, at the same time, that volatility made a lot of people argue about him and, and rush to defend him and everything like that. And that definitely builds some cult status and, and some intrigue as well. Um, I do want to play a game real quick about that though. He kind of famously, uh, piled up some cards in his time with Atlanta. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. 95 games, he made 95 starts. Um, he played 31 games his last year with us, 32 in the first two years. So that's, I mean, that's a majority of the season, except for he probably missed five games the entire time he was here, which is pretty incredible. Um, I don't believe that's, that's yeah, that's not counting uh, playoff stuff. But in his 95 games with Atlanta, Joe Patrick, how many cards for Leandro Gonzalez Perez? Man, this is tough. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that. he got suspended. So <laughs> he got suspended. I want to say he got suspended two times for accumulation in each of the last two seasons, at least. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go. You said he played 95 games, 95 games. Um, I'm gonna guess, and I can't now. I can't even remember what exactly you get the, if the second suspension is for an additional five or if it's three. Um, I'll say he picked up 25 yellow cards. Oh, that's close. That's close. A little bit higher. 28. <laughs> <laughs> You're close. All right. So 29. I'm just guessing at this point. Yellow cards for Andre Gonzalez Perez. He had. One red card in each of his three seasons, so 32 total cards <laughs> for Leandro. That's uh, that's a little above um, a third of his appearances, which <laughs> is awesome. Well, yeah, that's great. I mean, we we've talked about it on on this show before how he plays best when he's on that brink of danger. You know, yeah. like that's when you get the best out of L LGP. His best attributes come out definitely. He's not, and that's why I think that for us, there is a reason why Frank DeBoer might prefer a different kind of center back because he's not the guy who's going to have consistent positioning and winning all the aerial duels, um, which, which Frank DeBoer always goes on and on about. I know that he's a Dutch play, uh, um, you know, comes from the kind of Dutch coaching lineage, and it's all about beautiful football, playing the ball out of the bat, total football, all that stuff. But I'm not so sure he's that he needs a center back like Leandro Gonzalez Perez that could play with the ball at his feet. He seems to me like he wants 
his two center backs to just be rocks and just win every duel. And that's all they really need to do. And I feel like he might want more of a, a midfield distributor, somebody who like a deep line playmaker um, who can, who those center backs can give the ball to and can kind of uh, disperse. So I think that, you know, tactically, I think you can see why we may see something different next year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't even um, know what cued that, but I'm just. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. You talked about a deep line uh, midfielder. We may get to that later in the show. Uh, one last thing on LGP, Joe Patrick, your absolute favorite Leandro Gonzalez Perez moment. It can be on the field, it can be off the field. See if you can think of one. Uh, well, mine would be we've already mentioned it earlier, but uh, when he said he was Miles Robinson's more the daddy. that was that was just great classic it's a classic um i i remember and maybe i'm making this up but i think i remember (laughs) at the very least um him coming into a scrum just wearing nothing but a towel at some point and messing with whoever was being interviewed by the media (laughs) um i thought that was very very funny um there was that's, that's a moment that stands out for me for sure one thing I always got a kick out of with him was like he would when he would come out of the shower, he would bring two towels and he would <laughs> he would, you know, wrap up around the waist like a normal person does uh, with one of the towels. Then the other towel he would like put over his shoulders like that's how I got out of the shower when I was a child. <laughs> Love it. Love it. OK, well, bless you, LGP. Seriously. Yep. Um, good yeah. dude. Have, have nothing but positive things to say about him. We wish him the best in uh, Tijuana and um, maybe one day we'll meet again on the other side. Hey Joe. Yeah. Let's throw it to an ad break. All right. So before we get into the second part of the show, I did want to talk about, I think we teased this on the last uh, show that we did. We have a new partner this year. It's called lucid FC. They are clothing brand lucid FC stands for lucid footwear and clothing. See what they did there. I got it. It's kind of a soccer. Recent. Um, clothing brand i would say it's kind of like a modern european style and uh it's funny because i consider myself like the least fashionable person in the world mm-hmm. and i went over to go meet the founders they're two guys that are local they have their office right down uh in this really cool house in buckhead and they gave me some clothes and that gummit you know what it actually i actually felt cool wearing it and it's coming it comes in handy they gave me a great parka that has been fantastic because it's been raining like crazy here and it's actually like a raincoat that i didn't have before so and it looks cool so i encourage everybody to check them out sam do you wear clothes i i have worn clothes at least a few times in my life yes well you're in luck then because you can go to shop.lucidfc.us and check them out uh or at lucidfc.co.uk if you google lucidfc that'll probably take you there as well at shop.lucidfc.us right now, Joe Patrick, and I am looking at the stuff. It is it is bold. It's got a really cool look. <laughs> I'm here for the brand. Um, and look, like I don't know if you, if you if you need a confidence boost, if you if you need something that can make you feel a little cooler than you actually are, uh, I, I think this might be the move. I think this might be the move. It's it's definitely going to make you stand out at the very least. Uh, and the folks over there seem like. Good folks. And we like good folks here on Five Strike Final. Shall we? Yeah, check them out. Lucid FC. Yeah, let's talk about um, Biasanti. Biasanti. I feel like you got to say his name like in oh, musical. You know, like Margarete Biasanti. 
Yes. Let me hear the music image, Patrick. Um, yeah, no, Biasante. Uh, Matias, I believe. Matias Biasante. Yeah, Matias. Uh, Paraguayan midfielder is rumored and pretty much confirmed to be on his way to Atlanta at this point. Joe, I have watched at least five minutes of a highlight tape. Have you? <laughs> yeah, I watched like I, I, I clicked around within the YouTube video. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I yeah, I've watched the YouTube video. <laughs> there you go. I mean, he uh, seems good. He seems fine, you know? Yeah. Fine? Is that what we need? Fine? I guess we need fine. Maybe he's a stud. Is, is that he, Pam? He's pretty young. He's 22. Uh, Paraguayan. Yeah. Of course, we've had good, looks, good luck with young Paraguayans in the past. Um, coming from... Uh, well, he's he's from Serapoteño, but he's on loan a couple of places right now. Uh, he's with the Paraguayan national team right now, I believe, um, as well, doing some stuff. Um, so he's got a couple of caps there. Really, we don't know a lot about him. Anyone that really says they know a ton about him is either one, lying to, from Paraguay and, and just a big fan of Paraguayan soccer. Um, <laughs> so. There's not there's not a whole lot to say here except for you know the idea of a Nagby replacement keeps going around, but it may be a little bit of a Nagby and Rometty replacement if if we kind of stop and think about it with how Eric was used and utilized, especially towards the end of the year last year. Yeah, I mean something that stands out to me is Frank DeVore saying when we had a end of season conference call with him. When he was asked about how he was going to replace Nagby, he basically straight up admitted saying that you can't just bring in another player to do what he did because they're kind of impossible to find. He's a very rare breed, so you have to find different solutions. And I think that Viasanti is is that kind of different solution. You know, he's he's people are describing him, him as box to box. I would definitely kind of caution in saying that he's much more of a defensive midfielder than an offensive midfielder. Um, not saying that anybody is saying he's an offensive midfielder, but I don't think he's necessarily box to box, so to speak. Maybe I'm just being a little bit nitpicky, but I think he's going to be that kind of distributing central midfielder that sits at the base of midfield, really protects those center backs first and foremost, and gets forward occasionally when he can, maybe for a, for a shot from distance, you know, at the edge of the box. But I think he's really going to be more of a lockdown defensive midfielder, but one that can pass. And I think that that last part is the most important. And I, and I would also say as far as evaluating how good he is saying, you're going to love this. The only thing that I really would put a ton of stock in or put stock in is the fact that he's just recently been called up to the national team and is make is now becoming, you know, a regular national team player. That is like looking at a high school football scout and looking (laughs) at their offer list and seeing that, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't might not know how good he is from watching these highlight videos, but if Alabama, Georgia and Ohio State are offering him, then you know he's pretty good. And that's how I see oh, it. He's a, you know, if, if Paraguay's calling him up, he's he's good. Start bumping up the stars. I like it. I like right. it. We yeah. got a four he's star moving, DM coming in. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. He's moving up from three to four stars. A way I've been thinking about it too, and I think we've talked about it a bit, but I want to get your kind of take on it. Might, mightn't, mayhaps this be the Carmona replacement more than anything. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think I definitely see him more in that mold. I think he actually will be a better 
passer than Carmona was, but I definitely see him like that. Like, and as far as his general priorities on the pitch are concerned, I definitely see him being much more of a defensive midfielder. I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people are saying Nagby replacement, and they think of somebody that does the things that Nagby does, or at least covers the areas of the pitch that Nagby covered. And I don't think he'll necessarily be that. I definitely agree with you that it's much more kind of like Carmona. Mm-hmm. And, and I miss the hell out of Carmona. I, we were terrified uh, in 2018 when he left for Cola Cola. We just didn't quite know what was going to happen with the midfield. Obviously, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> but, you know, there yeah. was still that kind of like underlying feeling that, man, this team could have could have used something similar, you know, it's been even more of a juggernaut. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of fits, of course, obviously into, into Frank's system. Um, but, but someone who is defensive minded, you can put out there and expect to distribute a little bit. That's something that the team kind of missed a little bit last year. I think um, we kind of initially when Remedi was coming in with the whole thick fielder thing yep. and everything like that, we kind of assumed that's what he was going to be. And the narrative on him admittedly created some by us just because we were having fun with Thick Fielder um, was that he was going to be this defensive player and it just turned out to be that, no, not really. He's not really great defensively. That's okay. He does other things. Um, But this is going to be that. And, you know, if he can cover ground well and, and take up, you know, a big chunk of the field defensively that's that's going to be huge um especially you know as yeah jeff kind of declines and everything like that and uh we have someone with youth and, and talent coming into that it, it could be he could be a a crucial focal point kind of player for this team that's exciting could be oh yeah for sure for sure and when we talk about the talent honestly the the talent in a vacuum doesn't really matter like uh Pitsy Martinez is extremely, extremely talented in a vacuum. It's how these players that come over are able to adapt to the league, to mm-hmm. the, 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 the club in general, that, you know, the city they live in, the tactics, of course, you know, all these things influence how well a player can come in and, and do a role, do a job. And so I think that that's really what will be important for Viasanti. I don't think anybody can, you know, everybody can make a prediction about how good he might be or, you know, this or that. But it's, I mean, it's a very cold take to say that we just have to, it'll be, it's just a case of us waiting and seeing kind of what role he does play within the team. And, um, and hopefully he can bet in uh, very quickly. And I think that, I think sometimes with the younger players, it seems like to me, maybe this is just cognitive bias, but I feel like maybe some of sometimes these younger players can actually adapt a little bit better because they're just younger and they're more malleable as people instead of, you know, I felt like pity. Maybe we thought he would be quicker to adjust to the game in America because he was older and maybe we had it wrong in reverse that it maybe is a little bit more difficult for older players to come in and adapt to a new league, or maybe it's just down to each individual who knows, but I think it's got kind of a case of wait and see with Viasanti, but I I'm very, very hopeful. Yeah, no, it's, it's intriguing. It may end up being the most interesting out of all the coming signings. So we'll have to see. Um, Cause he, he could play a major role. He could, you know, not be that important. There's only two affiliate options there. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, elsewhere in the world, Joe Patrick, Julian Gressel is, is playing golf. Yes. Yeah, we need to, well, we need to talk about Julian Gressel's situation. 
Um, it's a tough one. Uh, I have heard some rumblings that it is definitely very much up in the air. I would, I I have to think that he's it's, he's more likely than not to stay. Um, and it 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 does concern me that I have kind of heard some of the things I've heard, but um, yeah, it's just tough. He's in a tough situation because I think both the clubs stance and their position in their in the negotiation is valid and correct and i think that julian gressel's also is like i think julian gressel can make the case like look at how other players in the league um on certain amounts of money are performing and the amount of output that they're giving you and look at the amount of output i'm giving you you know so he can make that argument but at the same time i think the league can say okay well all we have to do is offer you a 25 percent raise so you can't go anywhere else in mls find a team outside of MLS that's going to pay you as much as you're asking for. And I don't think that he's going to find that deal either. So it's a tough one. And um, the, the, what you were saying about golf is a quick story. I just, I wanted to share. I was out golfing. I was very fortunate to um, be a guest out at a very nice golf club that had cat. It's like one of the clubs. that's so nice. You have caddies. And uh, I do, I do golf quite a bit, but hardly ever with caddies. So I was, talking to the caddy and he was mentioning that some of the Atlanta United players go out to the course. I'm not going to say the name of the course, but he said they go out there from time to time. Cause there's a member who brings, brings them in and he's a huge soccer fan and likes to play and Gressel has been out there. <laughs> and I, and we, so we got to talking about Gressel and I was talking about how he's not, you know, maybe not getting paid as much as he should be. And uh, I, I think I said, he's getting paid. He's getting way, way underpaid or something like that. <laughs> and the caddy goes, Oh yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> and he's like he's not saying the same thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's good to know that he's out there bit, like venting and ranting to other people about it yeah no yeah you can't blame him i don't know if he's actually ranting but uh right no you can't blame him at all there's been no real progress from my understanding as far as that goes he probably won't know until the moment we know kind of thing right um it'll just be announced one day um or it will never be announced in He'll just leave quietly next year. Um, so we'll see. And we there's there's there. been talk about yeah there's been talk about the CBA also playing a big part in not just not just Gressel but a lot of these player movements you know it having a role in terms of there being so many uncertainties out there and I would say that in Gressel's case I think it may benefit Gressel to wait out a new CBA more than it benefits Atlanta United necessarily. Because I think if the CBA is going to get amended in certain areas, I think it's going to get amended towards players having more freedoms. freedoms. And mm-hmm. one of those one of those freedoms would be reaching free agency early. Uh, I think a lot of people assume Gressel will would be a free agent were he to leave Atlanta United. No, like all uh, we I mentioned it earlier. All they have to do is offer him a twenty five percent raise on like the one hundred and thirty k he's already making. And they have his rights within MLS. So I think that if he waits up for a new CBA, he may gain some leverage in negotiations that could help him. Agreed. It's a mess, man. It's a mess. Um, yeah, it's it's not fun either. That's the thing. It's like no. it's not fun to talk about. I uh, let me ask you this. I'm interested in this. If we're going to take this further at all, and we don't have to take it super far. But let's throw the S word around. Let's just do it, right? If there is a strike, per se, how does 
the league react? How does how do the fans react? How do the people on the edges of MLS react? Because you know, you can think back to other strikes in, in major sporting leagues in America and sometimes the the cry is I'm never attending that event ever again because how dare these selfish millionaires try to steal money and take away my season. I think you saw that a lot with the the 94 baseball strike that I wasn't around for. Uh, but so I've heard anyway, right? Um, and then you have things like the NHL getting canceled for an entire season. Um, the NBA came close to a strike at one point. The NFL came close to a strike at one point. I think the NBA did miss a few games, actually, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, and people were... Lockouts. Yeah, lockout. That's right. Same thing. Um, I mean, they're... Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, and people were usually not pro labor in those instances, which is, wow, gotta love where we live. Um, I wonder if it'd be different. I wonder if it'd be different with MLS. I got my gut feelings that a lot of folks would be on the side of the players. I do too. And I feel like it's one of the rare cases. And I think Russell's issue is kind of very much a microcosm of the larger scale, which is that <clears throat> I think it, the the public and especially the soccer fans among the public are well aware of how much, how little freedoms and how, how little MLS players have in terms of their, their bargaining rights and their, you know, how much they're getting from, from the labor contracts. Um, so I think it's one of the rare cases where you would actually see a lot of the public back the players because they see these rich owners coming into the league, paying hundreds of millions of dollars in these, you know, French, uh, franchise expansion fees and then not wanting to agree to like make have charter flights and stuff you know like i think that that rubs a lot of fans the wrong way and um so i think it's one of the rare cases where you would because i feel like in in most cases you think oh the players are greedy you know like the play, you know the players are greedy there are friends you know school teachers out there aren't getting paid millions this is you know have some respect but i think that in this case the public would definitely be on the side of the fans and there would be pressure. And I think that that's maybe again, another reason why we could see this thing go down to the end, because I think the players kind of maybe sense that a bit and are willing to let that momentum build. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think both sides, there's not really an interest to get something done until, until the deadline essentially. And the last one, the last time the CBA negotiations were going on in MLS, it went down to the last like 48 hours or 24 hours or something. It was crazy. So I think this one could be the same. Those sides have been weirdly quiet, I think, too. It's just kind of, I don't know. That's been the strangest part. I almost expected a little more fireworks, quite frankly. Um, Maybe they've been out there. Maybe they just haven't been paying enough attention. But I would expect them to, to at least show up somewhere. At some point, right? Like yeah. this thing being this thing getting done in the dead of night does not seem like the mo, especially of of MLSPA, who's been pretty vocal on social media about a number of things, right? Um, yeah, so and I, will... I feel like that that's why I would have expected them to have more kind of organized things where you know how they do those these things where everybody changes their avatar or like right. everybody tweets out. Like I figured they would be doing more of that. I, I thought we would be seeing more of that. Weird, weirdly quiet. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Yeah, and uh, the deadline is January thirty first, I think. So, okay, 
it's going to be so fascinating to see what happens because that is right up. I mean, they will all uh, Atlanta United is due to begin training on the 11th. So yep. <laughs> that's in less than a week. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Atlanta United is due to play their first game a couple weeks after that deadline. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's a holdout. What do, you, what do you do about Champions League? Yeah. Do do right. Champions exactly. Hold out. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Again, Next. I think that works in the player. I think that works in the player's favor. There, exactly. you know. Yeah, exactly. Especially so. you know, you know, the fact that you have the biggest clubs in the Champions League too. You know, you, there's there's a ton of revenue to be lost there. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. it'll be it'll be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Too much waiting and I, seeing. I I'm like just it. happy we're going to get some news coming. I'm so ready for the news. <laughs> Uh, me too. Me too. I I haven't contented in a second just because content miss kind of wore me out a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, quick update on that: we reached six thousand dollars on that. Y'all are amazing. Um, but yeah, no, it's been slow. It's been real slow. Yeah. Hmm. Joe, we're gonna get the we're gonna get those kickastrols sent out as soon as we can. Just got to get them ordered. Oh, we need yeah, to, we right. need to get we need to get the old grandpa that's that's um sandblasting the logos yeah. in, in the garage on his you know when he's <laughs> off shift at Home Depot. Right. He's just gotta get around to making some for us and then we'll get them out to y'all. All right. David Archibald, see you guys later.